Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. The threat of an immediate U.S.-Iran military conflict has been averted. Iran responded to the U.S. murder of its top general, Qasem Soleimani, with missile strikes on military bases housing U.S. forces inside Iraq. But Iran avoided any fatalities by giving advance warning to the Iraqi military, which then alerted its U.S. counterparts. In his first public comments at the White House, President Trump appeared to accept military de-escalation for now, while still promoting his administration's policy of so-called maximum pressure. Our great American forces are prepared for anything. Iran appears to be standing down, which is a good thing for all parties concerned and a very good thing for the world. As we continue to evaluate options in response to Iranian aggression, the United States will immediately impose additional punishing economic sanctions on the Iranian regime. These powerful sanctions will remain until Iran changes its behavior. Sina Tusi is a senior research analyst at the National Iranian American Council. Welcome, Sina, to Pushback. What do you make of what has happened in the last 24 hours? Iran launching this attack. Trump speaking today at the White House, appearing to welcome for now a uh, de-escalation when it comes to at least to military conflict. Well, first, thanks very much for, for having me on. Um, I think the last 24 hours have been in obviously incredibly dangerous. It's really the closest we've gone to a direct all-out U.S.-Iran war uh, since uh, you know U.S.-Iran hostilities really took developed after the Iranian Revolution in 1979. I think it's important to really have an eye to the context of this situation, and that context is that the Trump administration, you know, reneged on the Iran nuclear deal in 2018. They they pursued this so-called maximum pressure campaign for the past almost two years now, which has been marked by all-out economic war, you know, really uh, attacking the Iranian economy, trying to reduce its oil exports to zero, impoverishing the Iranian population. And, you know, the option that Trump gave to Iran was basically total capitulation on all their national security interests and or uh, the collapse of the entire country. And, of course, both of these were untenable, and Iran was always going to increase the costs. And we've seen that in the past, like about week and a half, you know, the situation has really escalated. This round of escalation started with these rocket attacks on a U.S. base in northern Iraq, which the U.S. attributed to an Iranian kind of ally group in Iraq. That led to the death of a U.S. contractor. And then following that, there was an attack by the U.S. on an Iraqi militia base in Iraq that killed 25 of these militiamen. Then there was uh, this attack on the U.S. embassy in Baghdad, which resulted in damage to the embassy. And then finally, we had this unprecedented U.S. assassination of the Iranian general Qasem Soleimani, who's one of Iran's top commanders, who, you know, has led this arm of the Revolutionary Guard responsible for Iran's regional policies, played a major role in the fight against ISIS. And, by, you know, by all accounts, you know, undeniably, this general was a senior statesman and a senior uh, Iranian kind of official. And this was an unprecedented assassination. It really sets a new precedent in international relations for the U.S. to do this and do it openly and, and gloat about it. And Soleimani, as we've seen in the past week, was a revered figure in Iran. There's been massive funeral processions for him all across the country. And this, this beyond anything, beyond, you know, this as well as many other factors necessitated and made inevitable an Iranian response. And that came yesterday in these uh, missile strikes on the U.S. bases in Iraq. And 
thankfully, the Iranians decided not to, decided to not target actual U.S. personnel, but they, you know, they signaled that their their ability to kind of strike these bases. And for the moment, we've kind of, you know, averted this uh, risk of an immediate all-out war. But I think that risk of a war is going to continue so long as Trump continues on this maximum pressure campaign and continues to not provide any real diploma- diplomatic off-ramps with Iran. And today he promised new sanctions on Iran. Is there anything left for the U.S. to sanction that it hasn't sanctioned already? So the U.S. has basically at this point depleted uh, its sanctions pressure tool with Iran. They've sanctioned everything from the Iranian Central Bank to the Iranian Sovereign Wealth Fund to the Supreme Leader to the Foreign Minister to all aspects of the Iranian economy. It really is the equivalent of a medieval siege. You know, Iranian oil exports, which are the lifeblood of the economy, have been sanctioned um, the Iranian population, you know, even staple goods are increasingly unaffordable. There's been skyrocketing inflation. The value of the currency has uh, has decreased. And above all, you know, the Iranian people have paid the price for these sanctions. And the ruling elite, um, meanwhile, you know, they're still in charge. The regime is entrenched. And, you know, none of Iran's policies in the region have changed. And arguably, you know, maximum pressure has made the region far more unstable, has, you know, obviously threatened the risk of all-out war. And it's a policy that on every front, it's been a failure, whether the goal has been to foster Iran's capitulation or push back Iranian influence or uh, even or diplomacy, which it has not been a tenable strategy to get U.S.-Iran diplomacy. Well, let's talk about changing Iran's behavior in the Middle East. It's something that uh, President Trump uh, repeated today in his Press conference is also something we hear pretty much across the political spectrum from Democrats as well. Let me uh, play a clip of Trump uh, talking about this today and, and get you to respond. Peace and stability cannot prevail in the Middle East as long as Iran continues to foment violence, unrest, hatred, and war. The civilized world must send a clear and unified message to the Iranian regime. Your campaign of terror, murder, mayhem will not be tolerated any longer. It will not be allowed to go forward. Yeah, I think that this singular focus that the Trump administration has on Iran as being the source of all regional ills is really a fantastical kind of ridiculous notion. You know, Iran is one regional power amongst many regional powers. It's, you know, it has interests in the region. It's trying to increase its influence. But, you know, obviously Saudi actions in the region have been arguably more destabilizing than Iran. You know, the war in Yemen has been the, the biggest humanitarian catastrophe in the world, you know, and their s- spread of this kind of Wahhabi Salafist ideology that has been the wellspring of, you know, Al-Qaeda and ISIS and al-Nusra and Syria and these other groups. And obviously the U.S. has has a very ugly history of intervention in this region. So blaming Iran for everything is, is very simplistic and, and, and inaccurate. And, and I think when it comes to U.S.-Iran relations that, you know, the JCPOA and the nuclear deal that Trump reneged on, this set a new kind of uh, standard for U.S.-Iran diplomacy. And it was the first time that through, through actual diplomacy, the U.S. and Iran were able to resolve one dispute between them, and that was a nuclear deal. And this raised hopes for kind of building on those negotiations and for the U.S. and Iran through diplomacy, through compromise and negotiations, being able to address these other issues between them in the region and beyond. But Trump, by by undoing that deal, he's kind of really wrecked any possibility of that. And he's taken us to this really kind of destructive uh, 
status quo on Iran, where it's it's only pressure for the sake of pressure's sake, and it's a regime change policy, really, is what is what it's been. And this is just it's taking us in the direction of direct conflict and war. And again, I would just emphasize that there is a potential for a different U.S.-Iran relationship. There is a potential to resolve a lot of these disputes we have in the region through diplomacy. But this policy that Trump has been electing to pursue of maximum pressure and sanctions and this very hostile rhetoric and having these maximalist demands of Iran and, you know, Iran should have zero influence in the region or these things that Trump just said in his speech. These are it's untenable. And if Trump really wants to avoid war, he needs to kind of lean off maximum pressure, offer actual sanctions relief and rebuild the confidence that's necessary for diplomatic solutions to all these crises in the Middle East. Can you. Um Talk to us briefly about where Iran has actually cooperated with the U.S. before, uh, whether directly or tacitly. Yeah, so ironically, you know, for as much as, you know, Soleimani is being demonized by Trump and others, um, and, you know, which is not to say, you know, he is ultimately an intelligence chief responsible for a lot of policies, many of them that are, have, have been brutal or resulted in, you know, the deaths of people. But the U.S. and Iran and Iran's uh, Quds Force, which is the extraterritorial wing of the Revolutionary Guards that Soleimani led, they cooperated in Afghanistan, for example, in 2001 after the 9-11 attacks, where Iran played an integral role in kind of helping defeat the Taliban and bringing to power the kind of unity Afghan government that has kind of reigned since then in Afghanistan. Similarly, in the war against Iraq, you know, Soleimani and kind of Iran's regional allies in Iraq and Syria they really led a lot of the ground war against ISIS in these countries and played a major role in defeating ISIS. They were one of the first kind of forces on the scene in northern Iraq, helping the Kurds uh, to kind of push back ISIS in 2014 when ISIS was conquering large parts of Iraq. And, um, you know, so and then even, you know, in Iraq, for example, where the major U.S. accusation is that Iran supported these proxy attacks against U.S. forces after the invasion. I think, again, this context is important, that Iran has cooperated when the U.S., when their their interests were aligned, the U.S. was willing to engage in, with Iran diplomatically. But in Iraq, when, you know, U.S. Of, officials accuse Iran of supporting these proxy attacks, this happened, we have to keep in mind, right after the invasion, when, according to Bush administration officials and people like John Bolton, who was in power then as well, that Iran would be next in line and that these neoconservatives in the Bush administration after taking out Iraq, you know, they said real men go to Tehran. So Iran was raising the costs for America in Iraq at the time. So, you know, it wouldn't be next in that in, in uh, to face a U.S. attack. Right. General Wesley Clark famously made public uh, the existence of a memo under Bush saying that there was a target list of seven countries for regime change, and Iran was one of them. I recently spoke to Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, who served in the Bush administration, who confirmed uh, seeing that memo. And certainly, U.S. policies uh, from Syria uh, to uh, Iraq have very much followed along those lines. And this thing about the U.S., uh, about Iran being involved in uh, IED attacks against U.S. soldiers, well, even that has been challenged by journalists like Gareth Porter, and we'll, I'll link to an article about that for people to read about. Let me ask you finally about an explosive statement that has not gotten nearly enough attention from the Prime Minister of Iraq, Adil Abdul Mahdi, who said that Soleimani was in Iraq on a diplomatic mission. Uh, there have been reports for a while that this is happening, that Pakistan is involved in brokering talks between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And according to Abdul Mahdi, 
uh, Trump had called him to help uh, further these talks and had encouraged these talks. And then shortly afterwards, Soleimani was inside Iraq to deliver the Iranian response. And then he is killed by the U.S. Now, when Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was asked about this at a press conference, he said that all this was Iranian propaganda. So, let's see. So, uh, Zarif's statement. Uh, uh, his first statement that is Soleimani was traveling to Baghdad on a diplomatic mission. Anybody here believe that? Is there any history that would indicate that it was remotely possible that this kind gentleman, this diplomat of great order, Qasem Soleimani, had traveled to Baghdad for the idea of conducting a peace mission? I, I, I made you reporters laugh this morning. That's fantastic. Uh, we know that wasn't true. We not only know the history, uh, we know in that moment that was not true. Zarif is a propagandist of the First Order, uh, and most of what you suggested in his uh, text message or email or message that you laid out there uh, was indeed uh, Iranian propaganda. It's not new. We've heard these same lies before. Uh, it's fundamentally false. He was not there on a diplomatic vision trying to resolve a problem. So that's Secretary of State Mike Pompeo who says all of this is Iranian propaganda, even though it came from the mouth of the Iraqi Prime Minister. Sina Tusi, as we wrap, what, what do you know about this diplomatic initiative that Soleimani was reportedly pursuing? I think that's a major part of this story that's unfortunately being underreported in the U.S. media. Um, according, like you said, according to the Iraqi prime minister, the, the Saudis, the Iraq was mediating between Iran and the Saudis. The Saudis had sent a message via the Iraqis to the Iranians, and Soleimani was kind of re giving Iran's uh, response to that. And for the U.S. to, to take out Soleimani while well, he was in the midst of this this seeming diplomatic mission, it, it's it's incredibly destabilizing and it really conveys this message that the U.S. is seeking to inflame these regional tensions as opposed to doing what should be in its national interest and is in America's national interest is to kind of help dissipate these tensions between Iran and Saudi Arabia and help uh, really bring these regional powers to peace with each other. And I think in the past couple of months, another sign of the failure of the Trump administration's maximum pressure campaign with against Iran is that these countries like Saudi Arabia or the UAE, which helped spearhead these policies and the policy of maximum pressure and really helped design it with, in the, with the Trump administration, that after they saw that, you know, they're going to be the countries that are going to pay the biggest cost for any war, you know, af after these attacks that were attributed to Iran and the UAE and Saudi Arabia, and after they saw that Trump is he's not a reliable ally, he's not necessarily going to go to some all out invasion of Iran and pay the cost of, you know, attacking Iran himself. After they saw that, they've been moving towards diplomatic de-escalation with Iran. We saw the UAE last couple months ago. They reached a maritime agreement with Iran. They kind of unfroze some Iranian assets. And the Saudis have also seemingly been pursuing kind of a ceasefire in Yemen that they've been negotiating with Iran about, you know, through Oman, actually. And there was also this Iraqi mediation channel. So I think of the U.S., really wants regional peace and stability. And really, if Trump really wants to extricate America from all these regional quagmires, they should, the U.S. should seek peace between the regional powers and should not seek to inflame these tensions. And I think, you know, if, if the Iraqi prime minister is to be believed, which I don't see any reason why he would, he would lie about this. And I think, if anything, it explains how the reason, one reason the Iraqis were so furious about this, you know, beyond the fact that this, the strike against Soleimani was a violation of Iraqi sovereignty, 
is that you know the U.S. is actively undermining these peace efforts. So I think it's it's a very bad sign. Sina Tusi, senior research analyst at the National Iranian American Council. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.